Welcome to the Andrew D'Angelo podcast. Constant Constants. Each week, Andrew, renowned jazz saxophonist and brain cancer survivor, invites us to look at the many worlds of his guests with conversations that cover all the arts, human resilience, a little bit of politics, and a lot of humour. You can't fail to have a fantastic time. Hey, everybody, and welcome. We are here today with uh, Erica von Kleist, who is a multi-instrumentalist. And uh, during our um, pre-conversation, I was saying she's kind of like a renaissance woman. You're an author. You've you've got a movie out now or or coming out. Uh, You're a teacher. You've played in rock bands. You've done all kinds of things. And... It's, um, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it, Erica. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, thanks. And, and how are you doing? Everything all right? I'm good. I'm recovering from the debut of my rock band, which I, I, I play bass in. We did that last night at the bar downtown here in Whitefish, Montana, where I live. And um, yeah, it was fun and amazing and had a great time. But man, it was a late night. <laughs> it, and so it, it's uh, probably unusual because we're, we're just kind of floating out of the pandemic, right? A lot of my friends, including myself, wow, I just did a live show in the first time in a year and a half. It just felt so weird. It's great. Mm-hmm. It feels great, right? But weird. It's weird. It feels, it feels great. You know, I mean, there's, there's not much COVID here in Montana right now. Thank goodness. Um, a lot of people are vaccinated and bars and restaurants are all 100% open. And everyone's sort of at that point here economically where – you know, you can get the vaccine, you can take your, your responsibility for your health and, or you can go to a bar and then maybe get sick. So it's like a lot of the owners are just like, all right, we're going to pack the place and, you know, you know, hopefully people don't get sick basically. Right. It, it, it seems past tense at this point, at least as far as I can tell and other people, but one of the things is that I have, one of my proud proclamations uh, that I have with a few of my friends, like Matt Wilson, the drummer, do you know him? Mm-hmm. And a few of us that we've played in every U S state. Right. And so I was thinking about Montana and I know I've played in Montana and it wasn't whitefish. Where do you, is it whitefish? Is that where you live? That's where I'm at. Um, it's certainly, I don't believe it was whitefish. What's the biggest city in Montana? How come I can't think of that? Well, you might, maybe Billings. Maybe you were in maybe Billings in or Billings. Um, Bozeman or Missoula. Uh, Missoula. Like- we played in Missoula yeah. a couple of times. And uh, I just don't know that. I mean, I know more about Denmark than I do Montana. But it, I, I, I was just banging my head against the wall trying to remember which city we played in, what the show was. I'm texting everybody and, you know, my friend and nobody can remember. And then I'm also was realizing that, uh, holy shit, what a, a man's world this is. Like everybody I was asking this question to were, were my friends, but they were all men. Like, oh, did, you know, what was that city in, in, in Montana that we played in? Right. And then I saw this video you put up on I, I think i saw it on facebook but w- maybe you put it on youtube or whatever where you were saying that the blue note jazz festival has no female headliners and 
I'll let you elaborate on that and maybe I'll put a link to it in, in, in the description, if that's okay with you and let people watch it for themselves. But, um, I guess my, my real question is what is there to do about it? I had a guest on who said a female saxophonist and composer and singer, uh, Charlotte Grev. And she says, I don't want to be hired to do a festival or a gig just because I'm a woman. I want them to, to enjoy my music, right? Mm -hmm. And then I had another woman on who said, if they hire me because they like my boobs, and I, I'm referring to your song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, if they hire me because I have nice boobs? Well, she said tits, okay? But I'm just referencing your your that fun song that, that you, you put up. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I don't care. It got me in the door. So you're... I'm going to call it a rant and you can get mad at me, but uh, your video, which was a live thing. I mean, you were just holding your phone talking. What is there to do about this? I mean, how, how do we get blue note jazz festival or any jazz festival or any festival to engage with females or people who aren't, you know, well, so one thing I want to clarify, um, and I, I, I try to try to be very careful about this when I did, you know, go on my rant and I called it a rant too, cause it was a rant. Um, okay. was there, there are females, there are, there are, there are female artists headlining the blue note festival. It's just that there's no female instrumentalists headlining at the festival. Um, there's several amazing vocalists who are there, including Judith Hill, who does play other instruments and actually had had this debate with someone on, um, on Instagram and she's saying, you, you know, you can't, you, you, she, she also plays instruments. So what's, you know, so what's the big deal? And I'm like, well, of course, maybe she plays instruments, but like Sarah Vaughn was a great pianist. She could play, play piano, but was she ever billed as jazz pianist Sarah Vaughn? No, she's billed as a singer. That's who, that was, that was what she did. And so same thing with Judith Hill. She might play multiple instruments, but she's not being billed as instrumentalist you don't see pictures of her with a trombone or a piano or a bass in you know promo pictures she's a singer and if you look at her wikipedia it's she's a vocalist she's being billed as a vocalist so but I, and, and i have nothing against singers you know and people are saying well being vocalist is an instrument i'm like yeah, come on right, like, right. like this is not the argument here right what's the argument so then? the argument is that there are so few female instrumentalists who grace the stages of festivals, clubs, concert halls. There, there are, there are festivals and there are venues that are making a point to hire more women, but we have to normalize this. We have to normalize seeing women on the stage, hold, holding an instrument and not holding a microphone to sing. You know, like I said, in my, in my, in my rant, I said, I can't tell you how many times I've loaded in backstage being the only female in an all male band. And people are like, Oh, you must be the singer. It's like, well, no, <laughs> I, I I'm mean, playing saxophone. Right. And, and I only laugh because just to, to back up your point, and I'm sure you haven't gone through my archives. So, I, and that's fine. But, uh, Danae Greenfield, who's an amazing keyboardist, Mary Halverson, great guitar player, Charlotte Greb, who I mentioned earlier, amazing saxophonist, they all mentioned that they would come to a gig or a jam session. They're like, oh, you want to sing on a song? I mean, they would, everybody at 
everybody, every man, I guess, would just assume that they were the vocalists. So I just want to, I'm backing that up with several other interviews I've done where I, I say, How, what was it like for you coming up? And they're like, yeah, I, I would walk into a jam session. Like, what song do you want to sing? Like, no, I play guitar, right? Or I play piano or I play, if I, what, where did that, where does that come from? And why, I, I don't, yeah. Where does that come from? Um, so when I was, I went to Manhattan School of Music for one year and I, you know, part of what I, you know, to get my completion for that year, I had to do concert attendance or lecture attendance or whatever it was. And so I attended this, um, this lecture and I, it's very faint in my memory, but the, some things did stick out. Um, it was this, this gal who was getting her doctorate and she was presenting um, about the, the history of of women in music, playing music, and sort of a lot of the stigmas, you know, historically attached to like women playing certain instruments. So like, for instance, um, I'm, I wouldn't, I would say like 100, 150 years ago, you know, when, when women would want to learn how to play a musical instrument, they would be discouraged from playing the flute because it's like you're it's it's a very beautiful instrument but you're spinning and that's not very ladylike um it may be discouraged from playing violin because you get the mark under your chin and that's not very ladylike you'd be discouraged definitely from playing cello because your knees are apart um and one of the instruments that women were encouraged to play was piano because you sit there and you're lady prim and proper, and yeah, prim sure. and proper, exactly. Yeah. So I think this this sort of um, sort of stigma, this, this 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 discouragement for from women playing instruments other than piano or singing, right? Is you know it's it's historical. It's a, it's a historical thing that has gone on for for centuries. Um, so now you have women you know, who are picking up the trumpet and the trombone and you're buzzing your lips, right? And it's historically men on these stages. And it's, it, it's, it, it's not necessarily, I don't want to say it's not ladylike because it's like you just do what you do, but I'm just saying historically, women were not encouraged to play these instruments. These are, these are boy instruments. These are guy instruments. Okay, then, you know, all the girls would pick up flute, you know, it's like, flute in concert band like in fourth grade it was like all the girls wanted to play flute right. and all the boys played trumpet and not all but so it's this historical right. these historical sort of biases towards these instruments and this you know this this still goes on today and that's what i mean but we we need to normalize seeing women on stage playing playing like trumpet, trombone, saxophone, like, you know, we need to normalize this. And I understand when, when other uh, female instrumentalists say, I don't want to be hired because I'm a woman. And trust me, I have made that stance before. Um, I published an article in the Jazz at Lincoln Center 25th anniversary book that came out. It's like a lot of articles by different musicians. And I, I, I uh, had one published in there and I make that point saying I worked a whole lot harder to become a musician than I did to become a woman. Right. Right. I right? Only, I'm only laughing because it's, it's like, I get it. And I, I don't want somebody to hire me because I'm a gay man. I want to be hired because they love my music. Right. Mm -hmm. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, just to, con just to conclude that thought, it's, it's an uphill battle, though, when you don't see women on that stage. 
And I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of really talented young women who are in high school, who will grace the stages of like, you know, they're essentially Ellington or, or, you know, any of these band competitions or the gen conference, they don't tip over into college playing jazz professionally or going, wanting to go into professionally because there's not a whole lot of, um, of, they don't have people to idolize on these stages that look like them. I mean, they do, but it's just when you have a major jazz festival come out and their lineup has no headlining female instrumentalists, this is what I'm talking about. Like we need to pay attention to this and it needs to become normalized so that women actually have these opportunities. You wonder why I moved to Montana and kind of left the jazz scene because I beat my head against the wall for years trying to get gigs at clubs. And maybe I wasn't doing it right. Maybe, you know, I was a young artist. But, like, the odds of someone taking a chance on a young female artist back, like, 15 years ago is a lot less than, like, a young male artist. So, you know, it's just it's just this constant uphill battle. I, I guess I guess th that's where, where my confusion lies. So... Let's say 15 years ago, so we're talking about like 2005, 2006, something like yeah. this, right? And so you're whatever age you are then, and you're in, in New York City, and you're, you're attempting to get shows, and wherever, whatever club, like just, we'll pick any club. I mean, you know, like the Village Vanguard, Lorraine and Max ran that place. I mean, Lorraine's a female. Um, and, and, and so... Where I'm coming from is what's what's the reason to give you or anybody a gig, okay? Let's say you're 25, you're female, you're living in Chicago or New York or whatever. Like, does somebody just say, hey, I'm just going to give you a gig because you're a woman, but then yet you said on, in, on another hand, and also other people I've talked to, other women I've talked to say, I don't want the gig just because I'm a woman. I want it because I make good music. So where's the balance here? What do we do? I mean, is there a solution? Do you have one or, or, or what, what's your thoughts on it at least? So let's, let's, let's talk about a different medium than the jazz world. Cause Got maybe it. we can have some perspective. So the, you know, that show Bridgerton that came out on Netflix. I, I only have heard of it. I have never watched it. It's, it's a, it's a period drama. It's like a Victorian era period drama. Okay. And all pretty much all other period dramas, whether they're movies or TV series have been cast as white people, right? Like white English people. And it just very pale skin, you know, period right. drama kind of thing. Well, hey. Bridgerton. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying like, to get, I'm trying to get sun. I'm doing the best I can over here. <laughs> I burn like crazy. I'm like German Irish. So, <laughs> right. um, so the, this, the show Bridgerton was like, all right, we're casting this as an, like a completely diverse cast. I mean, you, you have African-American actors, you have um, Asian actors, you have, uh, you know, Hispanic, you have white, you have all, all actors of all kinds of colors and creeds in all different roles and all different like love relationships, you know, different. And it is such a popular show. It's amazing. And people are just loving it because it's a good show, but they're also right. loving it because it's like, this person looks like me, you know, you, I, I, 
people who wouldn't maybe not would, would normally be into a show like that would be into it because I'm seeing people that look like me on, on the screen. Um, it's not necessarily the reason to watch a TV show, but it's like psychologically, it's a big deal. Right. Um, and not only that, getting representation in, um, in Hollywood, you know, that you can cast a show using people who aren't necessarily historically accurate, right? And you can still have a successful show. And I think it, that they're making strides in normalizing seeing people of different skin colors in different roles that would traditionally be played by someone of a different skin color. Right. Different and skin colors and different races as well. Fair different enough. skin colors, different races. Yes. I'm, I'm right. trying to be general here, you know, yeah. but that's, so that's normalizing that and that's opening the doors to work for all of these actors, right? They're not just like, you know, they can't get a role on the show because they're not white, right? So now it's like, oh, all these other casting directors are trying to cast these shows that are more diverse and we can get out of those, those boxes of how we're going to cast these characters. So now bring this back to the jazz world. If we make a concerted effort to normalize seeing women on a stage with an instrument people are going to normally, they're going to see that. They're going to, they're going to see it on a regular basis. It's not necessarily going to be something that's a novelty, but there has to be that intention behind those initial steps. Like we are going to hire women and yes, we're going to hire, we're going to make sure our lineup is diverse, right? And equitable dealing with genders, dealing with races. We want a diverse lineup that reflects everything that's going on in the scene. You have so many amazing women out there playing instruments who deserve to be on these stages, and it's just not normalized yet. And, and, well, well, I agree with what you're saying, but I also understand that I know I've hired females to be in my band, whatever, because I like their playing. And I'll say, you know, so-and-so, you know, Sarah, or just pick somebody's name, sounds amazing, right? They're like, yeah, she's very passionate or she sounds beautiful. No, no, she's amazing and maybe even brilliant, right? And, and people use these additives that I'm just like, no, she does sound beautiful. She is very passionate, but that's, not, I don't know if that's the compliment. No, it's very strange, man. I don't yeah. know. It's weird. It's, it, there's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, I I, 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 I'm not a psychologist, you know, I'm not like, I, I don't, I haven't studied like the history of like gender inclusion and all of that and why, and why society thinks this or that, or a sociologist. But, um, I know that there are, there are conscious and subconscious biases towards seeing women on the stage. Like, so last night my rock band played, we're called Minx and we're three women. And I know that I've gone to some of the club, the club owners here in Montana know me because I've played there before, but still it's like, you get the, that sense, like it's an all girl band. How are they going to be? Oh, girls, you know, can they play that kind of thing? Wow. And of course, we sorry can. for that. Sorry for that. And it's yeah. not, and it's not, it wasn't, it's not like a direct thing and it's, right. but it's, but, but you know, it's, it's implied. It's implied. Band. It's implied. Well, I, I, I talked to the uh, New York press secretary, who's a first-generation um, Filipino immigrant gay man, okay? And Gwen, who is a New York borough president, uh, Manhattan borough president, is female, and she has to prove herself. 
he goes, women in politics have to do like extra work to prove that they're capable of doing their job where he goes mm -hmm. men. And he goes, as, as a, as a Philip Filipino guy, I have to prove myself because I don't look like more like Andrew, right. Or like Mitch McConnell or whoever, Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever, right. Those people just kind of are like, all right, you're a politician, but Gwen or like, um, uh, Aries, you know, we have to, he goes, I have to study all weekend before the press conference because I have to go in there and then have the extra whatever fuel to prove. And uh, I hope I'm getting Gwen's name right. Do you know her name? The Manhattan Borough president? Why, why would you? Um, and I just thought that was interesting. And so is that kind of, is that relatable to what you're talking about here about the rock band and like, all right, three, Okay, and forgive me, everybody. And I've been getting some shit. I'm just making a joke with uh, Eric uh, because Eric is because she's uh, also a comedian. But you know, all right, three chicks in a rock band, cool man, right? Like, yeah. I wonder if they sound good. Well, of course they do. Right. Well, it's like, but the thing is, you wouldn't say, yeah, three dudes in a rock band. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's, it's crazy. So this is what I'm talking about. It's that implied bias. And it's not necessarily like nefarious. It's not necessarily made to be judgmental or discriminatory. It's just this implied bias because you're women, right? And it's because it's not normalized. It's not normal to see a chick rock band. It's not normal to see a female on stage like blowing trombone. I mean, it, it's normal to me because this is the world I'm in and it's normal to you, but to a general ticket buying public, it's not normal. And this is why we need to make extra steps to normalize it. And like, like seeing women in politics, like we have a female vice president now. I mean, I'm sure she's, you know, there's, there are people that aren't, are uncomfortable with that because they're used to seeing a dude, right? And right. these are these things that we need to normalize and they just, we need to see more women in these leadership roles so that we can normalize this so that we can have more opportunities for, for women in the future. Um, yeah, that's, I think normalization uh, is key. We're, we're literally sitting here. Eric and I are sitting here. It's 2021. I had the New York press, press secretary, Aries de la Cruz to the Manhattan borough president on my show and he said, and I've talked about this on my show before, but he said, if we, if I, if he took me to a press conference with him, okay, just randomly as an analogy, he said they would acknowledge me as the press secretary before they would acknowledge him. And I said, Oh shit, really? He goes, yeah. And, and that, and so maybe what our current vice president and, and other, other like AOC or whoever is in politics or whoever's in whatever leadership role who is a female is doing, is you're saying, is normalizing. But geez, geez, man, why do women have to work so hard to get into those positions? You know, why do they, they seem to have to take more laps around the track or like run farther, you know? We have to run farther, do it faster, do it better. You know, it's, it's, we, we have to, we have to overcompensate in some aspects because we're not being heard. Um, 
you know, we have to over overcompensate in a lot of ways. I mean, we're not we're not getting paid the same amount. I mean, statistically, women make 78 percent in general of what of what a guy would make in whatever that particular job would be medicine or accounting. I don't know. But, yeah, we make less money than than guys. And we just have to overcompensate for everything in order to be heard and be seen. I, 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 I was what kind of got me in to, well, first of all, I Googled you. Okay. So there was that. And then it took me this video of you doing a sax sectional with some of the, some of the kids from the New York youth orchestra. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And um, you're doing an amazing job. And I have to say that it just tickled my heart because it reminded me of when I was a kid and my, my teacher Waldo King would have sax sax sectionals with us. And I don't know, it was just fun. But I also noticed it was like five boys, right? Like these young men in the sax section. Are there, in that program that you're part of, are there, are you finding more females coming into the program or at least applying and, or? Yeah, so I've been a part of the adjudication process for uh, pretty much every year for, for NYO and, the first year, there were hardly any female applicants. And so, what were, year? What year would that be? Like, what's the first uh, year? Twenty eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. Yeah, and then then every year it's been progressively, you know, more applicants who are female. Um, there have been uh, several amazing uh, young women in the band for the last few years, and you know, I've had I've had discussions with. Sean and Joanna and the folks who, who are in charge of running the band and putting the band together from the applications. And, and they're very well aware that we need diversity in the band and we need to have young women in the band. We need people from all walks of life in the band. So they do make an effort to make sure it is diverse and equitable and, um, you know, and also features the, the, the best, the best players that are going to sort of fit that fit the band for that year. So, could you just fill us in? You dropped a couple of names there, and I'm not familiar with them. Who's Sean and Diane? Who are they? So Sean Jones, uh, trumpet player. He is the the music director, artistic director of the NYO Jazz Program. He is um, the uh, president of the Jazz Education Network as well. He's a dear friend of mine, an unbelievable musician and visionary educator. Um, Joanna Massey. Oh, oh Joanna. Is, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, she's um, she's the. Uh, I can't, I can't remember her exact title at Carnegie Hall, but she's uh, help. She's part of the education uh, world at Carnegie Hall. And um, she used to be part of the education department at Jazz at Lincoln Center. And I've known her since I was in high school. And so the, the two of them are just this powerhouse team that have, have put NYO Jazz together. And it's just, it's pretty incredible what they're doing there. It, it's, it's, you went to Hall High School, right? Is that what you mm-hmm. said? Yeah, and uh, you you said that was a strong band program, if I remember correctly, in an interview that I saw that you did, right? Yeah, very strong. Right, and I I don't know what years you were in school there. I mean, in the eighties when I went to Roosevelt High School in Seattle, I don't know if you've heard of that school, but we had an incredible music program, and you know a lot of these programs are just not there anymore. I don't know about Hall. I know Roosevelt's still there, but you know. I, parents ask me all the time, like, I'm trying to get my son or my daughter, you know, wants to play drums or trumpet or whatever. And the school has no band program. What do I do? And I, I say, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. They can study with me. I mean, there's that. 
And, and I started this for years. I had this thing called the Brooklyn jazz camp where I would engage every summer with some students who would come to New York and they would spend a week with me and we would just play music and I would in basically embed them in my scene. So they would meet, you know, my friends and they'd get to take lessons with people that they wanted to study with, you know, whoever that was and, or go out, take them down to the village Vanguard or the jazz standard or smalls. Right. And yeah. as long as they were of age, that kind of thing. And I, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious how, and I, I feel like I'm harping on this, but at the same time, I think you're the right person to answer the question. How do we do this? Because as, as you and I talked about in the break, it's important that we have these conversations. I've gotten a little grief for it. Like Andrew, you're being sexist. No, I'm not. I'm trying to have a conversation about it. How can we fix anything if we don't talk about it? People have no trouble talking about Trump or Biden or politics in general or Giuliani, right? No problem with that. But so I'm just saying, all right, so is this just like a, a some kind of like deliberate measure? I mean, does Joanna or like Sean, uh, you or Sean, do they just say, okay, well, we got to have a quota here of, you know, 10% female or, you know, 50% female. You know what I'm saying? I think. Yeah. No, there's, there's no quota or anything like that. It's just that um, it's, when you're dealing with kids that are that talented, you know, you have, you have this, like, you know, anyone who gets above a, a 90 on the application is, is, is someone who is like a potential to be in the band. Um, and it just kind of boils down to, you know, what, what is going to be a good reflection of, of the program? Like these kids can play, these kids can play you know, how do we make this, this equitable and diverse and, and, you know, and what's great is you have the pick, you have the pick of the litter in terms of talent because so many incredible kids, you know, show up and, and audition for this program. So you do have a diverse group of kids to, to choose from. That's not always the case with jazz programs because, you know, you just don't know what the applicant pool is going to be, but, but for NYO, you know, you see all of these different people on stage, um, these young people. And I think that's, that's an important part of their credo is to make sure it's diverse and reflects all aspects of, of society. And that's why there's a lot of, there's so many, there's several women on the faculty, you know, me included, Shami Royston, Mimi Jones, um, to have that influence. And I know that that has impacted the number of applicants that have come in that have been women who have um, applied to the festival, young women who have applied to the, to the program. So. Um, I, I think intention has to be there. You know, obviously we, we want to be chosen for a gig because we're, we're talented, um, obviously, but also there has to be some kind of intention to try to break down those barriers and make sure it's all equitable. And uh, it, in my it, opinion. It, I, right. And on a certain level, I agree, but on another level, like this whole idea of talented, what is talented and how does a person male or female, anybody go from age, but I started playing saxophone at age 11, right? So, because I had opportunity and my parents were able to rent me a saxophone. But, so somebody has to get to the point where they can even achieve their or, or pursue their talent. 
So they have to buy an instrument. They have to take lessons or whatever, study, whatever that means. Maybe they don't have to take lessons. Maybe they just study. If they don't have a band program, if they're underprivileged. And then so they finally get to applying to Carnegie Hall NYO. And so don't you agree, Erica, that talent, does it just come about? Or are you we born with it? Or does it need to be cultivated kind of like a, a garden, you know, like plants, you know, and everything, food needs to be watered and taken care of. But what if we don't have the resources? I, I'm just curious what you mean by talented. Um, I, the, well, kids who have put in, put in the work and who have, have practiced who have gotten their chops together to like basically a professional level, um, you know, the, and, and have found a calling, right? I think that's, that's part of talent too, is just knowing that like your heart is pulled in a certain direction, like that, you know, that like you've been put on this earth to, to make great music or to, to do pottery or to grow flowers. I don't know, like whatever you're calling it, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. yeah but like, that's, that's the thing that you want to do. And if you love, if you love that, um, and, and you have, you, I think there's a certain, there's a certain element of being born with, with, with a gift, I think, um, I think there is an element of that, but unless, like you said, if that, that's got to be cultivated and that's, that's a mixture of opportunity. It's a mixture of, of support and um, work ethic and dedication. And, you know, any of the young people that have all of those things kind of come together is what I'm call what I personally call talented. And, um, and speaking of cultivating, I, 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 that's a great, you can pursue and the, your answer, but I want to make sure we mention your book. A cool approach to jazz theory. Uh, I have not read it, and maybe I need to. I don't know. I, I'm more. I play by ear. That's kind of what I do, and what I've always done. But uh, you know, I think that's a great place to start. And maybe you have a, a program. Do you, you know, donate your book to school programs, or do schools have it on their curriculum? You know, or any. I, I they'll be able to find it on your website, which is where I found it. And I wish I had found it before today or yesterday, whenever, so I could have read some of it. But I just like the title. I have to admit, Erica, a cool approach to jazz theory. It's so non-intimidating. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, talking about talent and cultivating talent, the one, the, one of those big stumbling blocks when you are in middle school jazz band is seeing those chord symbols above your music and thinking they look like hieroglyphics. And I, I always ask you know, when I when I go in front of a middle or high school band, I say, who solos here? And like maybe four kids raise their hand and like, so so those of you who don't solo, why don't you solo? And I actually ask them, and well, it seems hard. It seems confusing. All those chord symbols. I'm like, OK, so that's why I wrote my book is to kind of deconstruct what all that means, how to practice it on in your instrument. So that is it is not intimidating and like a cool approach to jazz theory is like, like you said, it's not meant to be hard. It's not meant to be intimidating because you want to get those kids soloing. Um, it's illustrated. There's like a character named Ollie the Jazz Cat that walks cool. the kids through the book. It's like <laughs> literally you could you could color it in with crayons. It's, wow. like, it's like the most fun jazz theory book ever. And I it's it's been successful. I'm trying to get it into some schools. I've self-published um, because I just 
you know, I, I want to have control over the marketing of it and the distribution. I want to give discounts to schools. I've talked to teachers about doing bulk orders. I have a lot of control over that. At some point, I'd like to find a publishing company. But, you know, right now it's kind of a bit of a monopoly in that world. So I'm trying to keep it mine and also keep it off of Amazon. Um, right. But so let's just yeah. say in this moment on this particular show, and I'm sure you've talked about your book at great length on, in other places, that if anybody is interested in my world and in supporting Erica's book and having it at your school, that would be amazing. And we can connect you again. I'll put a link in the, in the comments so that, it, that people can find your website and it's in the store. That's where I found it. It might be other places on your website, but the reality is that um, the, the, here's, I just wanted to tell an anecdote that made me think about this because my teacher, I think I was 14. I might've been 13 said, I was called Andy back then. I said, Andy, you solo here. I, said, I don't know what the fuck to do. Like, like you said, there's all these hieroglyphics and he's like, just play whatever you want. Right. And so I totally went out of, out of control. Like I went longer than the, the form. Right. I'm being Andrew, even at age 13 or 14. And it was so fun. And it was just close your eyes and blow. And then he's like, all right there, Charlie Parker, calm down. Your solo's over, right? He cuts the band off. He's like, you stop here. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought you would find that funny. I love that, it. That was that literally was my first solo, and I'll never forget it because my teacher was like, just go. And then I, I didn't stop, and then so we had to cut the whole band off. That's just like, <laughs> I love it when, you know, you find those kids that are willing to kind of go out on a limb and just kind of put it all out there. It was so fun. Play. Yeah. It was so fun. Like, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't know what key we were in. I didn't know what zone we were in or what core changes were. I just played. And then I got, you know, educated or whatever programmed. And now I know all that stuff. I'm, I'm wondering if it's hindered my abilities, but uh, I actually, I actually would like to get your book just to see how you're talking to, um, to young people because I'm not, I don't understand. I know you played in Darcy's band, right? You were in Secret Society, and I know Darcy's super into harmony and 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 all that. And but I, I and I also saw you do an interview or or something where you were talking about jazz theory versus you know music theory in general. Is that fair? That you did you? Am I putting words in your mouth? Um, I've mentioned the differences between like jazz theory as opposed to the type of theory that's. Traditionally taught in conservatories, if that's what you're talking about, um, I've, I've mentioned that a few times. Yeah, I just, I, I, I guess, as as somebody who is, I remember one time I was doing this gig with Paul Motion, the drummer, Bill McHenry, the saxophonist, Dwayne Eubanks, the trump player, and I think Ben Street or Eric Rivas on bass. And I said, "What's a B circle seven? Right? And they all just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that is. Well, it's a B diminished seven. I do know what it is, right? right? But and but at the same time, I was nailing the changes because I was playing or uh, orally, as you say, right? That's mm -hmm. how you put it, right? I was playing by ear, and that's just how I learned. So I don't know if it's wrong or right, but sometimes I like to see different perspectives. You know, just like we were talking about 
women in jazz and just like I've talked about homophobia in the music business. And again, it doesn't have to be jazz. Just I had a chef on, we talked about sexism in the, in the restaurant industry. You know, I've talked about racism just in the world in general with uh, African-American, African-American males. And so I, I, I like and enjoy looking at different perspectives. And so it, it, it might be kind of cool to check out your book and then, I, I actually have somebody in mind, uh, my friend Carolyn Castellano, who teaches up in Boston, has a very strong music program at her school. Maybe she would be willing to um, buy a bulk order of your book. But I, ha- I have to read it first. I'm kind of selling something I haven't checked out. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure it's totally cool, right? I'll, I'll send you a copy. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Amazing. I'm not asking for a freebie, but if you want to do that, that would be amazing. No, I'd be and, happy to. Okay, thank you. And then just in conclusion, is is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to or anything you'd like to say to the world or whatever? Um, I don't know. I always have lots of lots to say. Go for it. <laughs> so, no, I but I can't think of anything in particular. Um, I guess yeah, I guess I, I you know, going back to sort of what we were talking about earlier about like the Blue Note Festival and um you know, I said this in my, my rant video, but I wanted to just sort of reiterate that, like, you know, I, I, I don't think in general, like there are these nefarious boards of directors, like plotting against having women in the line. Right. right. Um, you made that, you made that very clear in your video, by the way. In, in like, yeah. And, and, and just because we are a jazz community and we care about each other and, um, I think it's just, it's like making sure there's that, that awareness that this is a, ma- a major issue in our field. And it's that lack of awareness that, that showed up in that moment when they published the lineup for the festival. And I'm hoping that other festivals can kind of take that and like, all right, we need, we need some equitability here. We need some diversity. We need opportunity for women on these stages. And it needs to be in the, in the forefront of our minds right now. And I think that, that's a kind of the most important thing. And um, I don't know if folks at the Blue Note saw my video or whatever, or what they think. Um, and again, it's not meant to be hateful or negative. It's just, it's like you said, we have to have these conversations and, and these, these uh, we can't stop talking about it until, until, uh, until things change. Until and, things change. And, and for me, Erica, I want to be very clear that that particular day where I, I, I messaged you, I specifically went on social media because I go, I need, I need to, I need to get out of my wheelhouse. You know, I'm, I'm just surrounded by these amazing musicians and a lot of them are men. And I, I said, let me just see what happens. It was literally one of those moments. Let me just see who I could, find that's out of my wheelhouse you and i have never met as far as i know i saw you play with with uh, um darcy's band okay mm-hmm. but uh i think it was at the jazz gallery the old jazz gallery maybe yeah yeah and um and then all of a sudden i saw that video and i was like there you go and then i was like impressed she you're not you weren't really playing victim in my opinion you were just stating some facts and you said, look, I don't think there's like a nefarious group of men going, we're not going to hire any women. Yeah. Right. And, and I was like, this is cool. And it's something I brought up on my show and I have gotten a little grief for it, but I am confident that if we don't 
keep discussing this and keep opening up the door to this particular room that we're never going to change is not going to happen. And maybe there is some kids parent somewhere that watches this and goes, you know what? I should get my daughter, you know, that trombone or trumpet or whatever it is. Right. And we'll figure it out. We don't have a lot of money, but we'll figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important. And I really, I just want you to know, I really appreciated it. And I, I felt like it was a little bit of a, you know, like a little bit of a, synchronicity moment for me not for you but just seeing that video and going oh there you go all right see if erica wants to come on um beautiful well i i want to say well all right there's one last thing that i wrote down i actually got to play one of jackie mcclain's saxophones i i was uh i was at this party a kind of random party in brooklyn it's maybe two in the morning we're in this apartment and i remember that the person having the party, we got locked out of her apartment. So she had to climb through the fire escape from her neighbor. It was this whole thing. <laughs> and anyway, it's like two in the morning. And she goes, hey, Andrew, man, would you play? I have Jackie McLean's one of his saxophones. Would you play it? I was like, what? It's like two in the morning. And she goes, nah, nobody will care. And it's you. And also the reed apparently was Jackie's reed, like still on the mouthpiece. So wow. when did Jackie pass away? Do you remember what year that was? Uh, like, it was like 2005 or six, I think. Right. So 20 year old Reese. <laughs> yeah. Two in the morning. We're in Brooklyn and we probably had smoked some weed before it was legal, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't work for the president. And it was really just, it was magical. I'm not sure how I sounded, but everybody loved it. But I know you played with Jackie or you got to meet him or something. What's that story? I met him several times when I was like, I, I, I'm from West Hartford and he was living in Hartford um, and running the Hart School, a music jazz program and also the Artist Collective. And, um, you know, I, at the time, four great saxophonists were all his, his protégés. It was Chris Allen, Julius Tolentino, Wayne Scoffrey and Jimmy Green. And all four of them were at heart at the same time. And Chris Allen was my private teacher when I was like in middle school, you know, going into high school. So, you know, he took me under his wing and I got to meet, you know, Julius and all these guys who were in college playing saxophone and also got to meet Jackie, who was their teacher several times. And I remember one day it was Jackie's birthday. So a bunch of us piled in, um, I forget whose car, maybe it was Jimmy's car. And I'm there with like this little 16 year old girl with my saxophone and we get out, we get out to his front lawn of his house and we play him happy birthday on our saxophones. It was so sweet. And he came out on the porch and he was like, Oh, you guys, thank you. So, so, and, and that's, that is exactly what my Brooklyn jazz camp was doing where I wanted these kids to have that experience, not the, in the classroom, one, two, three, four, that's all good and fine. We need that too. But mine was like immersion, you know, take them to a venue, take them over to have dinner with Reed Anderson or Eric Rivas or hang out with Nasheed Waits or, you know, all do whatever like that. So they, so they could have their Jackie McLean moment, which is, I have no, you must be impressed that I actually like heard about that. I don't know how I heard about it, but it it just kind of came and I saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, I have a little Jackie McLean story. And everybody says he was like a super fun guy. So I don't know because oh, I never got hard. to meet him. But his saxophone was kind of cool. I think That's it was pretty a, cool. I, 
I, uh, I, I work with, um, have an endorsement deal with this company called RS Berkeley and they're out of New Jersey. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. And the owner of the company, his name is, is Les. He uh, has created this series of, of custom mouthpieces that are based on great, like great saxophonist mouthpieces. So he has like a, a, a mouthpiece that was made of the mold of Stan Getz's mouthpiece. He's got one of Bird's mouthpiece. And the way he got Bird's mouthpiece is when he went to Kim Parker's house. And I think Kim is, was, is um, Charlie Parker's daughter. And she lives, I think, in upstate New York. And she has her dad's saxophone with the original reeds still in the case. Wow. Amazing. And she gave him the mouthpiece to, you know, out of like make a mold or whatever. Basically make a mold of it. Wow. And that's how he was able to make a mold of birds, one of birds, many mouthpieces, I'm sure, but um, but one right. of them. So uh, Yeah, I gotta say when I played Jackie, Jackie McLean's horn, it was a little funky. You know what I mean? That reed was a little old, but uh, <laughs> but it didn't matter. Yeah, is that the is that company? Is that they make that Stan Getz mouthpiece with his teeth marks in it? Is that the? I think so. I haven't seen the Stan, the Stan Getz mouthpiece that they do, but um, it's it's pretty cool what they're doing there. I I play one of their horns, and I I've played it for you know well over ten years now, and I love it. And um, they do great things for music education. They they do band band instrument rentals and. You know, my, any of my kids who have always gotten instruments of theirs, they've gotten a great deal and they're just a really great company. It's so interesting because when I was watching your videos, a couple of your videos, I was going to ask you what horn you were playing because I couldn't figure it out. So is that company? RS Berkeley, yep. RS Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And um, when you, you get the chance, Erica, could you send me a link to either whatever, whatever you want, your favorite link? to associate with that company, whether it's through your website or whatever. And I'll make sure that my producer puts it down in the comments, but um, that horn sounds amazing. And I, I swear to you, I felt just kind of like, not an idiot. I don't, I don't believe in that. I'm not, nobody's an idiot, but well, maybe, okay, maybe Donald Trump or something, but I, I was looking at that horn. I was hitting pause. I'm like, what the fuck saxophone is that? So now we know it's RS Berkeley right? And you endorse them. It mm -hmm. sounds beautiful. And I got to tell you, I listened to that overtone video you did, which was kind of instructional. You know that video I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm lobbing this at you. I'm sorry. And it's that's like towards okay. the end of our conversation. And, <laughs> and that's where I really could hear that tone of that saxophone. And you were talking about how even though you're playing a low B flat, there's other sounds, you know, other overtones, and I think even undertones and colors and shapes, there's all this stuff going on that we maybe, you know, subconsciously are experiencing, right? But that are there. And I was really getting obsessed with your horn in, in that uh, particular video because I was like, what the, this thing sounds great. I mean, you sound amazing, but the horn itself is amazing. Yeah, they, they, they have some, and they have all kinds of different models. And I've watched the company grow over the years. Um, I, I got one of their first virtuoso horns that they put out and, and it's grown since then. So yeah, definitely worth checking out their, their, their showroom, not showroom, but their, their whole factory workshop is out if off the uh, New Jersey transit in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. And uh, they're just, they're great over there. 
off the new Jersey Transit. Is that a compliment? Oh, you're just saying the location is easy the to location. get to. Yeah, uh, I was like, right over in New Jersey. <laughs> I'm thinking like they're like, they're that bodega right over there. Anyway, sorry. This is like the New York guy. I've lived here 35 years now. So when you say, you know, they're off the new, new Jersey Transit, I'm thinking, is that good? But, uh, you know, I had, do you know Matt Storr or Carlos Senemo? They're two saxophone technicians. Mm-mm. Okay. Do you know Bill Singer? Yeah. Okay. So that level of sax- saxophone technicians. And I had them on the show and we totally geeked out on saxophones, right? Cons, uh, Selmers, everything. Martins, everything. And they're having a hard time finding a modern instrument that can replicate the energy and the sound of, of the metal, you know, kind of like a Stradivarius of the, of the violin, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd actually kind of think I'm going to send him that video. What are you looking up? Um, I was just uh, looking up RS Berkeley really quick so I can remember to send you the link to their stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if I don't, if I, if I, that, while it's on the brain. Because, um, yeah, their stuff is really, really good. And you should definitely send them their way to just check out what they're doing. I Right. So my idea is that if Matt Storr or Carlos Senemo gets their hand on one of these saxophones, then if they don't like it, that's not a good thing, right? But if they do love it, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I wish there was a way to just say, hey, send me a demo. I want to play it and check it out, and I'll send it back. But this is just not feasible. You know, I mean, it's like the shipping and everything. But I, ha- I just want to say – Without even knowing you were endorsed by them, when I was watching your overtone, and you, you'll anybody you can find that video on YouTube, and your overtone video, and just how you sound fantastic again, but the saxophone is just like you said. You even didn't you say like it vibrates in this way that other things in the room vibrate with it? Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing those overtone exercises right and you're getting your, your first, you know, you're, you're annoying your neighbors. First of all, if you're doing <laughs> <exactly>. it right, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you. Sorry. I No, that's totally right. And then, you know, if you do, if you, if you've got, if you get those, those, that subtone, particularly in the low B flat, where just the whole horn is just buzzing like a la Ben Webster then, then it's like all those overtones are going to come out and, and like your dishes might start rattling and you're right. like, you know, light fixtures are going to buzz. It's like a piano, you know, it's like a certain note on the piano is going to, is going to buzz something somewhere. You're going it, to, it's, it's resonance, you know, I don't know physics, but that's, that's, that's how I just sort of describe it. But um, a good horn definitely helps a good mouthpiece, a good read. You kind of have to have a good setup to, to really, really get, get the and job just done. A, a good vibe. You have a good vibe. You have a good connection. I feel like you and that instrument, I, I'm, I'm one of these people that believes that we are connected to our instruments, you know, and, and, and that goes for anybody in a machine shop or whatever. I've talked to my friend who's a machinist. He's like, yeah, he goes, the tools I use are a part of me or like a, a recording engineer. And there's just something about you and that saxophone that just has this vibe. And I would say vibration, if it doesn't sound too new agey, that really works for me. And, and, Here's another preconceived story I wanted to tell you was I remember when I was doing a lot of these overtone exercises, I lived on 18th street in Brooklyn. And at one point 
my, my neighbor just started banging on the floor. Shut up. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. Because even you said it can be a little, you know, challenging, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, it was just funny. I'm like, blah, 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 you know, like doing all this shit. And it, I think it was like 10 in the morning or something, probably too early. And he just banged on the floor. And he's like, shut up. And I was like, right. <laughs> Sorry, dude. But uh, I, I don't know. Sorry. I, 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 yeah. I, I'm not trying to make fun. <laughs> what? Go ahead. Yeah. My, my dad, my dad actually used to, when he was like 10, he used to live downstairs from Frank Zappa in the East Village. Oh, wow. They used to they used to rehearse above him in the apartment, and he's, my dad was like, "I can never can never get any homework done because it was so loud." <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like a that's kind of like an amazing story on two levels, right? Like, wait, you live below Frank Zappa, right? But also, could be kind of annoying. Are you guys done? Are you done jamming yeah. up there, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> Oh, that's a great way to end. Erica, thank you for being here. So nice to have you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Great uh, conversation. Thanks. All right. So I, I, I'm i going to say goodbye and have a great day. Is it day there? It's still day there, right? A great is. evening. Yes. Okay. And I'll talk to you later. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All Keep right. Don't touch. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Constant Constance. Tune in every week for new conversations. And if you want even more, check out Andrew's Patreon for more exclusive content and additional conversations. Hosted and produced by Andrew D'Angelo. Edited and mixed by Lucy Little. Original music by Andrew D'Angelo and Maximilian Moore D'Angelo. Intro is Henrietta Weeks. Thanks so much. See you next time. You fucking, yeah, you fucking rocked it. Like she doesn't, she doesn't know she says podcast, right? (laughs) Like she doesn't even.